Hi, I'm Pastor DeAndre J. Cross Sr., the pastor teacher of the St. John Baptist Church of Belle Place, Louisiana. Thank you for joining me today on the Renewing Your Mind podcast. Let's go into the sanctuary of the St. John Baptist Church and hear today's message. I want to label today's message being forgiving to be forgiven. Being forgiving to be forgiven. I want to begin today's message with a question. And I'm going to ask that the media team will put this question on the screen for those viewing and for those in the sanctuary. But here, here is the question I want to ask on today. What makes it hardest for you to forgive someone who has done you wrong? Or why is it so hard for you to forgive? Is it A, what they did was so bad that it cannot be forgiven? Or B, they keep doing the same thing repeatedly? Or C, they will not apologize for the wrong they have done. Or is it D, the person does not deserve forgiveness? Or is it E, the person has not asked for forgiveness? And I want you to answer right now. I want you to tuck that away in your heart. I want you to think about that throughout the message because I will come back to it on this morning. For the last three weeks, we have been working our way through Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. In Matthew 6, 5 through 15, Jesus records for us his teaching on prayer. In response to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, who seeing Jesus in prayer and seeing the results of his time in prayer, asked him to teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Jesus takes a moment to answer their question, and in doing so, he teaches not only the disciples, but he teaches you and I how not to pray and how to pray. In verses 5 through 8, Jesus shows us how not to pray. He lets us know that if your private prayer is lacking, then don't think you will accomplish much in public. We often want God to bless what we do in the public places, but we discovered that it's only in the private places with God that we receive the true rewards and benefits of prayer. And therefore, he said to us in verses 5 through 8, he says, when you pray, pray to be heard by God and not seen by men. That's verse 5. Verse 6, he told us that we need to understand that prayer is relational, personal, and private. 
In verse 7, he showed us that we ought not to pray using empty words or empty phrases or as the King James Version puts it, vain repetition. And in verse 8, he taught us that we ought to pray with complete confidence that God knows what you need before you even ask. Verses 5 through 8 teach us how not to pray. When you look at verses 9 through 13, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Verse 9 begins by saying, in this manner, therefore, pray. Another translation says, this then is how you should pray or pray like this. Notice Jesus doesn't say pray this prayer, but rather he says pray like this. He says pray like this because this model prayer was never intended to be repeated word for word. He never intended for it to be memorized or prayed by rote, nor did he intend for this to be the only prayer that we use. Instead, he intended for it to be used as a guide for praying. He, he says, pray like this. What he's saying is, follow this model, follow this pattern as you are seeking to develop your prayer life. And therefore, he proceeds to tell us that when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. That is, approach God by establishing a relationship says, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is to prioritize what God wants over what you want. It says, when you pray, pray, give us day by day our daily bread. That means to seek God's provision. It says, when you pray, pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That means to seek God's protection. And he closes with a doxology for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's to praise God in anticipation of answered prayer. Verses 5 through 8 teaches us how not to pray. Verses 9 through 13 shows us how to pray. But on today, we come to this final petition, which is actually the fifth petition in this model prayer. We, we skipped this one last week because this final petition, this fifth petition seems simple enough, but simple things can sometimes be very deep. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here, Jesus is introducing us to the very difficult subject of forgiveness. If we're honest about it on today, all of us, everyone in the sanctuary and everyone viewing me online, all of us struggle with forgiveness. We say this one for last because not only is it a difficult word from the Lord, but it's also hard to understand and in some cases is even harder to apply. Yeah, yeah. The 
basic problem, I don't know about you, but the basic problem that I have with this petition is quite simple. It appears that the Lord has drawn something into this prayer that really does not belong there. I mean, after all, I could understand it. If Jesus was to say, when you pray, pray and forgive us our debts and just stop right there. That would make sense. But what makes this prayer so frustrating is that Jesus seems to drag something that doesn't belong when he adds this phrase, as we forgive our debtors. This idea of forgiveness forces us to deal with one issue in two ways. It, it forces us to deal with the problem of sin, but we deal with this problem of sin in two ways. Jesus says when you deal with this issue of sin, it's not enough for you to just deal with your sins against God, but now we have to deal with other people's sins against us. It forces us to not only have to deal with our need for forgiveness of sin, of the sin we have committed against God, but it now forces us to have to deal with the need to forgive others who have sinned or wronged us. I'm going to back it up and I'm going to play it one more time. This text does not only teach us that our responsibility is to deal with our sins against God, but this text teaches us that we also have a responsibility and a need to deal with the wrong that other people have done unto us. Now, I have discovered that the reason why so many of us struggle, including myself, with this issue of forgiveness is because we really don't have a good, solid understanding of the meaning of this word forgive. So the question becomes, what does the word forgive mean? The Greek word translated forgive simply means to send away. It means to hurl away. It means to let go of. It's used to refer to the canceling of a debt or dismissing a criminal proceeding. It, it has to do with casting or throwing away that which has caused a problem, and in this case, the sin that blocks our relationship with God, and get this, also blocks our relationship with other people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the question is, what does it mean to forgive? I like this definition of forgiveness that I ran across too. To forgive is to make the decision to relieve a person from an obligation or a debt incurred by a sin or infraction against you. It means to cancel a debt and not keep the offender in debt. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. And the reason I like it is because of the first few words. This, this, this word forgiveness, it is a decision. Yeah. 
One writer put it this way. When you deal with forgiveness, you have to view forgiveness as a decision and not an emotion. Because forgiveness has nothing to do with how you feel. Now, it does not ignore how you feel, but forgiveness is deciding to forgive or not to forgive. It's making a choice to forgive or not to forgive. See, your emotions will eventually have to catch up with the choice that you have made. But when it comes to forgiveness, it's not about how you feel at this particular moment in time. And the truth is, no one feels like forgiving, especially when we have been wronged and especially when the wrong that has been done to us begins to hurt so much. And if we're honest on today, how we feel is often what keeps us from forgiving. Question was asked recently, in fact, the same question that I asked in the beginning of our time together today, the, the question was asked, what keeps you from forgiving? And out of all five of those answers, the two answers that came back with the most votes was B and C, because they keep doing the same thing repeatedly or because they will not apologize for the wrong that they have done. The problem with all of these answers, beloved, is that all of these answers are emotional responses that keeps us from forgiving. But when you choose to forgive, you can do so whether or not what they did was so bad that it can't be forgiven. When you choose to forgive, you can do so even if they keep doing the same thing over and over. When you choose to forgive, you can do so even though they have not apologized for the wrong that they have done. When you choose to forgive, you can do so even if you think the person doesn't deserve forgiveness. When you choose to forgive, you can do so even if the person has not asked for forgiveness. Now let me say this, because I don't want those of you watching to change the channel on me. And I don't want those of you in the sanctuary to tune me out. But I want to be clear about what I'm saying today. Forgiveness does not mean excusing, ignoring, justifying, or pretending that it did not happen. But it does mean that you choose, you make a choice to cancel or relieve a person from the debt that has been incurred. Many of you might be saying, I, I, I know, I know. I can see it on your faces. And even though many of you are not in the sanctuary with me, I, I, can, I can feel it in your spirit. You might be saying, well, Pastor, I, I get all of that. I, you know, I, I know I need to become a forgiving person, but Pastor, you don't understand how bad they hurt me. I don't think you understand what they took from me. I don't think you understand that they keep doing the same thing over and over. I don't think you understand that they even act like they ain't never done nothing wrong. So how do, how do I become a forgiving person in the midst of all this? Number one, you can become a forgiving person 
when you acknowledge your own need for forgiveness. Yes, sir. I'll say it again. Yes, sir. You can become a forgiving person when you acknowledge your own need for forgiveness. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The, the first part of this petition says, and forgive us our debts. The way to become a forgiving person is to acknowledge or to admit your own need for forgiveness. And here is the reality. You and I need forgiveness. We need forgiveness because we are sinners. And sinners sin. Some of y'all might be saying, well, well, I'm not a sinner. I'm saved. And even though you are saved, you still commit sin. Mm -hmm. And because we sin, we need forgiveness. Now, I don't want us to misinterpret this line. When you pray and forgive us our debts, we're not begging for salvation as the non-Christian who feels the guilt of hell would do. When you pray, forgive us our debts, you're not praying your sin has been cast away, your sin has cast away all hope and that you are afraid of dying outside of Christ. When you pray, forgive us our debts, you are praying as a child of the Father who has not lived up to your Father's expectations. You are literally saying, I'm sorry to the Heavenly Father. So when you say, I'm sorry to the Father, you are doing so because you want to begin to have fellowship with the Father again. Yeah. Have I got a witness yeah. here? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is not a matter of forgiveness of, for salvation, but this is a matter of forgiveness because we have sinned against the Father and we need to say to him I'm sorry. There, there are really two types of forgiveness that the Bible teaches. There is what is called judicial or legal forgiveness. That's the forgiveness that we received when we trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. When our sin debt was paid and our sin account was closed. That's when God forgave us once and for all, taking care of our sins, past, present, and future, so that your sin is to never come up again before God with, your, with regard to your standing before him. But then, not only is there judicial or legal forgiveness, there is also parental or relational forgiveness. This is the forgiveness that you and I are taught to seek in 1 John 1 and 9 where we have to be cleansed from the effects of our sin that caused a break in our fellowship and intimacy with the Heavenly Father. And I like this because as one writer puts it, God never deals with his children as a judge. He always deals with his children as our father. Amen, amen. And although the legal issue of sin is settled once and for all, the relational issue of sin has to be dealt with on a regular basis. And so when Jesus says to pray and forgive us our debt, he 
is referring to our being in fellowship with the Father and consequently being in our in fellowship with one another. See, when we sin, we break fellowship with the Father. Now, now that does not mean that heaven is not your home. That does not mean that you will not spend eternity in heaven. But what it means is you are not immediately connected with the Father because we have done something to break that connection. And when we go and ask the Lord's forgiveness, we are doing so because we want that fellowship to be restored. Let me see if I can show it to you. Suppose, suppose a child sneaks behind their father's back and does what his or her father told the child not to do. Now, is the father no longer the child's father because the child did what they were not supposed to do? No, that, that, the answer is no. A child is a member of his father's family by birth. Disobeying his father does not break the father-child relationship, but the fellowship between the father and child has been fractured. The relationship is still intact, but the father is disappointed. And in order for that fellowship to be restored, the child then has to come back to his or her disappointed father and say, Father, forgive me for my debts. Have I got a witness here? He says, forgive us our debts. That word debt means obligation. It's something that we owe to God. See, because we sin, we have a debt that we owe. There is a penalty for our sin. In fact, the word of God teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But so many of us like to rewrite the Bible and we change all to y'all to say y'all have sinned. But the reality is all of us have sinned. And if you go on in Romans to chapter 6 verse 23, the word of God says that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, there is a penalty that we have to pay for our sin. There is a debt that we owe. But thank God for judicial and legal forgiveness because 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow. You gotta realize and acknowledge that all of us have a need for forgiveness. And when you realize that we all have a need for forgiveness the second thing that the text teaches us is that when you acknowledge your need for forgiveness, then you can extend the gift of forgiveness to others. And that's point number two. You can extend or you can appropriate forgiveness to others once you realize your need for forgiveness. Look at what it says. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, we are asking God to forgive our sins according to the same standard 
that we have used in forgiving the sins of others. Yeah. There are 10 words in this line, 10 words in verse 12, but there's only one word that's most important. And it's that small little two-letter word that says as. See, everything in this line hangs on the meaning of the word as. As is a conjunction that joins the first half of the petition with the second half. When Jesus says as, he is setting up a comparison between the way we forgive others and the way that God has forgiven us. Have I got a witness here? The text says that we set the standard and then God follows the standard. We, we establish the pattern and then God follows that pattern in the way he deals with us. See, when you pray this prayer, you are really saying, God, deal with me like I deal with other people. Deal with me like I have dealt with others. What we're saying is, God, there is somebody in my life who I've done favors for time after time again. And for every favor I've done, they seem to become more and more ungrateful. And God is starting to make me mad. And because I'm mad, I'm not going to forgive that person because they are so ungrateful. Now, when we, when we approach forgiveness like that, here is what we're saying. Now, God, deal with me like I've dealt with that person who's ungrateful. It's as if we're saying, God, that man, that woman hurt me. And I'm so angry, I'm so hurt that I'm not going to forgive. Instead, I'm going to get even. And when we say that, it's like we're saying, now, God, get even with me like I want to get even with the person who has, who has wronged me. See, see, if you're not willing to extend forgiveness, how do you expect to receive forgiveness? And all I'm trying to tell you is that that we set the standard and God follows our lead. You forgive a little, God forgives you a little. You forgive a lot, God forgives you, you a lot. Have I got a witness here? All right, all right, I understand. But pastor, you still ain't answering my question. How can I forgive when they have not apologized? How can I forgive when they have not asked for forgiveness? How can I forgive when they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? I came across this in studying that there are really two types of forgiveness. There is unilateral forgiveness, and then there is transactional forgiveness. See, when you forgive on a unilateral basis, what you're saying is you're forgiving another person even though your forgiveness has not been sought. You extend unilateral forgiveness 
when there is no apology or no repentance. They refuse to say, I'm sorry. They refuse to repent. They act like they didn't do anything wrong. Unilateral, unilateral forgiveness is, is extended to people who won't apologize, but it's also extended to people who cannot apologize because some offenses happened so long ago that the person who has offended us is now deceased. Or the person who did the offending has moved to a different area. So how can I forgive them even though I have no contact with them? The way you do it is you extend unilateral forgiveness and the reason you do that is because unilateral forgiveness sets you free. It, it, it clears you. It keeps you from walking around in, in bondage. It clears your name. It keeps you from being miserable. And because, you know, when we are miserable, we have a tendency to make everybody else miserable. And unless we forgive it, not only will we continue to walk around miserable, but everybody we come in contact with will be miserable. And that's why some of us don't understand why we are feeling the way we're feeling today, why we're going through the things we're going through, why we are so sick in our bodies, why we're so sick in our minds. The reason is because we're walking around in bondage and the reason we're walking in bondage is because we have chosen to not forgive the wrong that has been done to us years ago. I'm only going to forgive if they ask for forgiveness. Well, that might not always be the case and we still have a responsibility to forgive. Okay. Let me give you an example. Um, you remember Jesus, don't you? Yeah. You, you, you remember how he died? Mm -hmm. you, you remember they put a cross on his shoulder. They walked him up the hill, skull, called Golgotha. They hung him in between two thieves. They put nails in his hands, nails in his feet. But he uttered some words while on the cross. And while on the cross, he uttered these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You, you, you remember that? Yes, sir. Now, they were not sorry for what they did. But even though they were not sorry for what they did, Jesus still said, even though you have not apologized, even though you are not sorry, I'm still going to forgive you for what you have done to me. I'm going to forgive you for, for putting me on this cross. That's unilateral forgiveness. That's when you forgive somebody even though they don't seek the forgiveness. But then there is also transactional forgiveness. Transactional forgiveness is when both parties are involved. That, that's when one offender seeks the forgiveness of another and they receive it. Transactional forgiveness involves an exchange. It involves confession and it involves repentance. Those who forgive transactionally, the person comes and confess what they have done. 
and then they repent for what they have, have done. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. They, they, and then because they have confessed and because they have repented, you extend forgiveness transactionally because the goal of transactional forgiveness is to be able to reconcile the relationship when it's all said and done. Have I got a witness here? Uh -huh. um, Y'all remember Dylan Roof? Uh, Dylan Roof was the young man who went into the Emmanuel Church in North or South Carolina. South Carolina, while Charleston, South Carolina, while there was in Bible study and shot up a lot of people, including the pastor of the church. And when Dylan Roof stood trial, um, some of the family members said to this young man who had just killed their family, they said these words, I forgive you. A wrong had been done, but they still chose to forgive the wrong that has been done. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, or a better, better, better illustration just recently. You remember Botham Jean? And Amber Geiger, Dallas, Texas, the young, the Dallas police officer that went into the wrong apartment and shot and killed young Botham Jean. And when the case was, when the when the case went to trial, um, charges were filed. Uh, she got ten, a ten-year sentence. And so many people were angry. So many people were upset saying 10 years, that's all she get for taking a life, just 10 years. But the brother of Botham Jean stood up and told Amber Geiger, I forgive you. And then he went a step further and asked the judge, can I hug her? Now, she had just killed his brother, but the end result was reconciliation. Now, that didn't mean that she didn't have to suffer the consequences for the wrong that she had done. But what it does mean is the young man said, I'm going to forgive you in spite of the wrong that you've done. I'm going to forgive you while you suffer the consequences for the wrong that you have done. I'm going to choose to cancel the debt. Are y'all with me? And so I know you got another question. Well, I get that, but how do I know the person is really, really serious when they come and ask my, ask my forgiveness? How, 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 do, how, how do I know when, when they're sincere? Here's how you know. You know when a person is sincere when you begin to see the action that supports what they have just said. I come to you and ask that you forgive me. But then once I ask you for, to forgive me and I leave out of your presence and I continue to do the same thing, I wasn't sincere when I came to you. But if I come into your presence and I'm trying my hardest to restore and to fix and to mend and to heal what I have done, then that's a good indication that that person is truly sincere because there is a change 
And they're, they're trying to reconcile, they're trying to rectify what they have done that was wrong. Are y'all with me? Uh, one more thing. Not only must you acknowledge your need for forgiveness, not only must you extend forgiveness to others, but you got to realize one more, one final thing. How you forgive others determines how God forgives you. See, when you pray and understand how the Lord forgives you in the present, that when you understand that your present forgiveness has been established by how you have forgiven others in the past, and how I want the Lord to forgive me tomorrow is determined by how I will forgive today, then it helps you to be able to forgive those who wronged you. And it's in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you of your trespasses. Notice, notice if you will, Jesus uses a different word now for sin. In verse 12, he uses the word debts and debtors. But here in verse 14 and 15, he uses the word trespasses. Y'all see that? Uh -huh. Because there are four, there are really more, but there are four main New Testament words for the word sin. There is the word sin, which means to miss the mark. That's the ability to do good, but you just miss the mark. There's the word transgress. That means to step across the line. That, that means to have no restraint. You, you, you step over the line. Then there is the word debt. That word debt is what is owed or an obligation. That, that's the consequences of our sin. But then there's another word that's called trespass, which means a falling or a slipping. That, that's what we do in the passion of the moment. It, it, it means to do something that bothers someone else. It's, it's when someone does something you don't like or something that hurts you. There, there are times where the trespass is not even based on the person that offends you, but rather how you receive what is done. In, in other words, the person may not have meant anything by what they did. You just received it that way. And because you received it that way, it became offensive. Amen. And so for the forgiveness of God is conditional. It's not automatic. You can cry, you can plead, you can snap, but if you don't forgive others, then God is not obligated to extend forgiveness unto you. Because the Lord gives to us what we have given to others. When you come to God with unhealed and unsettled issues with others, you are really asking God to not forgive you. But when you don't know what they did or Even though you're not forgiving them for what they did. Here is how you determine. Whether you can forgive or not. And I'm going to try to sum it up this way. Because you're still saying but you don't know what they did. So here's the question you have to ask yourself. Is what they did to you. 
as bad as what you did to God. I'll wait. Is what they did to you as bad as what you did to God? Because see, many of us approach forgiveness from God as though we deserve forgiveness. As, as though we are entitled to forgiveness. And truth is, if anyone had a reason to not forgive, it was him not forgiving us because it's because of us that he had to die the way he had to die. But last time I checked, ain't none of us in here had to go to no cross because of something that you did not do. So when you're trying to realize and understand whether you are going to forgive somebody or not, ask yourself the question, is what they did to me as bad as what I did to God? Notice one more thing, and I'm, I'm done. Notice God's forgiveness of you came before he asked you to forgive anybody else. Because when you consider how you have been forgiven, it should move you to a place to where you can forgive others. Because forgiveness is giving others what God gave you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. When we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts towards those who have wronged us, we put ourselves in a dangerous position with God. See, unforgiveness is a sign of pride. It's a sign of ingratitude. We, we are setting ourselves up as a judge of others when only God can judge. We are displaying ingratitude for what God has done for us when he forgave our sins. But when we don't forgive others, it's like we are ungrateful for what God has done for us. Again, that does not mean we condone what they did, nor does it mean we have to trust them in the future. But we do have to forgive them if we want to. Thank you for listening to the Renewing Your Mind podcast. We pray that today's message was an encouragement unto you. Until next time, be encouraged.